0: Episode 53 The Land of Canaan The land of Canaan had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier, and for the first time in a long time, the descendants of Abraham were back. Not just to be wanderers in the land, but to conquer the land and its people. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about Moses and his siblings having a disagreement and who would be leading the Israelites and communicating with the Lord. This led to Miriam getting leprosy and having to be excommunicated from the tribes until she was cleansed. After that, the whole tribe would go up north and send twelve men into the land of Canaan. These would be the twelve spies. In this episode, we're going to take the time to introduce the land of Canaan, the people in it, and why it's so important. So with putting a pause on the Israelites' journey, let's begin looking at the promised land and its people. When the spies were sent into the land, they traveled from the south part to the north side. These men were the only ones from this generation of people who would enter the promised land, because as we'll come to find out, When the report of the spies came back to the Israelite camp, they would refuse to go into the land to take possession of it. When the spies were sent out, they were in the southern part of the border of the promised land. Almost in the land, but just not quite. This area of the south land would be called the Negev, which in Hebrew means south. This would be all of the Southland in the Old Testament that would be considered the desert, or the wilderness. Beginning about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, and extending all the way down to the Gulf of Acuba in the south, the distance of it would be about 70 miles of desert. The desert is often called the wilderness. As it extends from the fertile soil of central Canaan, it would transition into the desert, with the eastern border being the Dead Sea, and the western border, the Mediterranean Sea. Although it gets very little rain, the region would have some grazing land as a result in early months of the year, but sometimes it would extend into the summer, depending on the amount of rain. This is where Abraham would spend most of his wanderings. There have been some discoveries of settlements in the desert, but those were from a later time period, closer to the Byzantine time than the Israelites' time period. For the most part, the people that lived here, if there were any, were mostly herdsmen and nomads, moving around the whole wilderness in search of pasture lands for their herds. Although, recent discoveries have been made suggesting that the wilderness might not have always been a complete desert, However, that has only happened twice, and it isn't too sure when those two times were. Once was during the Byzantine period, the other isn't known. Because of this wilderness, with very little rain and springs, it would provide a natural boundary and secure the land from any attacks from this direction. Because who would want to bring an army with all of its men and animals through an area that has little to no water for 70 miles. This is where the Israelites are camping, and from here is where the spies would leave to come into the land of Canaan to spy it out. From the south, the spies would travel north. This would lead them into the hill country, or sometimes called highlands. Coming out of the Negev, the hills would rise to over 3,000 feet in elevation. This would be in the Hebron hills. In the Hebron hills would be the city of Hebron. The city itself would be about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. So the city of Hebron would be where the wilderness and the hill country met. From here is where the spies gathered the fruit to bring back to the camp to show Moses and the people how bountiful the land was. This is the same city that Abraham bought the cave in which was used as a family tomb for Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. As a side note, in Numbers 13, verse 22, it says that the city of Hebron was founded seven years before Zoan, which is considered one of the first cities in Egypt. This would be around 1730 BC. From Hebron, the group would continue north. For most of the rest of the episode, we're going to talk about the land itself. From there, we'll begin to introduce the people that lived in the country and why the Israelites were not too excited to be going up against them in battle. For the land of Canaan, also known as the Promised Land, it really divides up into six different sections and landscapes. The first section of land would be the coastal plain. As the name refers, this is the strip of land that follows along the coastline. To the west would be the Mediterranean Sea, and to the east would be a mountain range. The coastline would start in the north, and continued south until it came to Mount Carmel. This set of mountain ranges would nearly stretch into the sea, cutting the coastal plain in half. The only way to get around this pass was to go through the Carmel Ridge. After passing the ridge, the coastal plain would pick up again as you continue south. As the coastal plain would continue south, it would naturally run into and merge into the Negev or wilderness in the south. This coastal plain would have a highway called the Way of the Sea that would run through it, going north to south so that it could connect Egypt with the empires and kingdoms along the Euphrates River and vice versa, thus promoting trade. At one point in history, in parts of the coastal section, There were forests of trees that no longer exist today. The next section would be the lowlands. This area is a smaller section, but is in the southern part of the land of Canaan. With the Hebron hills to the east and north of it, the west side had the coastal section next to it, and in the south, it butted up right next against the wilderness. It has a rise in elevation in comparison to the coastal plain, but not nearly as much as the Hebron Hills that would stand at 3,000 feet in elevation. No, the lowlands has a high point of only 1,500 feet. During the time the spies were sent into the land, this area would have been known for its sycamore trees and grazing land for sheep. The third section would be the highlands. As we talked a little bit about it already, the Hebron Hills were part of the highlands. However, there are three other sections of the highlands, Galilee, Samaria Hills, and Bethel Hills. It would have the coastal plain just to the west, and the Jordan Valley to the east. And in the far southern section of the highlands, it would have the lowlands just southeast of it. The Galilee area itself is two different sections within itself. The reason for this is because there is an Upper Galilee and a Lower Galilee. This division between the two is simply a difference in elevation. Upper Galilee is an average of about a thousand feet higher in elevation than that of Lower Galilee. However, just because it was simply a thousand feet in elevation difference, that doesn't mean the land itself looked the same. Upper Galilee was made up of more peaks and gorges, making it near impossible to pass through, and even more so to build a settlement in. Whereas Lower Galilee had mountains and hills, but they were separated from each other, making the valleys broader and the water basins more accessible to cross through and more favorable to establishing a settlement. The Galilee section would be in the northern section of the land of Canaan, and it was near the Sea of Galilee. Later on in history, this would be where Jesus spent most of his time, Lower Galilee. Now, as the Galilee section of the highlands is in the north, going south in the center of the land of Canaan, the highlands is cut by the Jezreel Valley. This valley is a giant drainage for the highland. It would extend from the Jordan Valley, which is the east side of the land of Canaan, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This valley is about 50 miles long, stretching from the sea to the Jordan Valley, and 20 miles wide. Oftentimes, this area would flood during the heavy rain season. From lower Galilee into the Jezreel Valley is a steep decline. Coming out of the valley though, it's a more settled incline into the Samaria Hills. The Samaria Hills has a valley coming out of it and it intersects the Jezreel Valley. So the Jezreel Valley runs east to west from the Jordan Valley to the sea, while the valley coming from the Samaria Hills intersects at a right angle running north to south. At the intersection of these two valleys stood the city of Shechem. This is a city that Levi and Simeon attacked and killed everyone in it because the leader's son raped their sister. This city sat in the valley with two mountains on either side. From the Samaria hills and continuing south, you would hit the Bethel hills. Here, the peaks began to get tighter to each other making it more difficult to travel through. During this time, there would have only been one main road that crossed these hills, and many settlements would be along this path. Continuing to go south through the Bethel Hills, and before reaching the Hebron Hills, one would come across the Jerusalem Saddle. The Jerusalem Saddle would be a section of land that dropped in elevation from the Bethel Hills and the Hebron Hills. The valleys in the Jerusalem saddle provided a means of travel to go from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Jordan Valley in the east. The city of Jerusalem itself is at the end of the saddle in the far east. The city would sit at the intersection of two routes from east to west as well as the north to south route through Bethel and the Hebron Hills. Thus, the city of Jerusalem was at a strategic location for the path from north to south and east to west. The next section is the Jordan Valley. The Jordan Valley is just east of the highlands. Just in case things are beginning to get a little confusing, from the west to east, we have the coastal plain that runs along the Mediterranean Sea. It runs the span of the land of Canaan from north to south except where Mount Carmel and the Jezreel Valley interrupt the plain. Going east, we run into the highlands. The highlands pretty much cover all of central Canaan. In the south, though, the lowlands nestle in between the highlands and the coastal plain, and the wilderness in the south. In the south, though, the lowlands nestle in between the highlands and the coastal plain, and the wilderness in the south. From the highlands in central Canaan, and continue moving east, it turns into the Jordan Valley. The Jordan Valley is a fault line, meaning that it sits in between two tectonic plates. The two plates that it sits between is the Arabian Plate and the African Plate. Because the Jordan Valley is in the middle of these two plates, that means that the tectonic plates pull away from each other, as they are still doing today. It creates the valley. The fault line continues through the Jordan Valley, down into the Red Sea, and out into the Indian Ocean. That's the Jordan Valley, and why it's a valley. Within this valley, it contains the Sea of Galilee, which is 600 feet below sea level, 12 miles in length, and 5 miles wide. The Sea of Galilee was surrounded by volcanoes, causing much black basalt stone to be found there. Flowing out of the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River. It flows for about 65 miles before it empties into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is about 1,200 to 1,300 feet below sea level, making it the lowest elevation point of the land in the world. At this point, the Dead Sea is about 50 miles in length, With the max being 11 miles wide, and the depth of the sea is somewhere around 1300 feet at its deepest section. The reason that it's called the Dead Sea is because even though it has a constant supply of fresh water coming down from the Sea of Galilee, the water in the Dead Sea stays there, meaning that all the sediment and matter that the water gathers stay in the Dead Sea. And as the water itself gets evaporated, this leaves the water being extremely high and salt, so much so that nothing but bacteria can live in the waters. From the Dead Sea, continuing south, the Jordan Valley rises to 650 feet above sea level before dropping back down into the Red Sea. The next section, would be the fifth, is the Transjordan Highlands. This section is just east of the Jordan Valley, or the Fault Line. From the Jordan Valley, the east side rises up like a giant wall. Originally, this area was not to be part of the Promised Land, but we'll come to find out in a later episode of how it came to be under the control of Israel. This land was known to have good agricultural lands on the opposite side of Galilee. Heading south, the river Yarmouk would intersect the Jordan Valley, the south end of the Sea of Galilee. This intersection of the Jordan Valley and the Transjordan Highlands was called Gilead. This is where Jacob encountered his uncle while trying to flee from him. The land of Gilead was hilly, forested, and is known for its balm that would be produced from the local trees. These balms would be used in medicine, which brought a lot of physicians to come to settle in the land. Many other events happen in the land of Gilead, but we'll get to them at a later point in time. For now, this country is a very fertile land that is higher above the Jordan Valley. Continuing south, the land would be great pasture lands, and often this is where we will find many of the surrounding nations living. Many of the surrounding nations around the land of Canaan are nomads, meaning they live in tents traveling from one pasture land to the next. Nations such as Moab, the Ammonites, and the Edomites will introduce these nations and where they come from later as well. The Jordanian highlands would continue south, bordering the Jordan Valley and eventually the wilderness on its western side. Last but not least, well, maybe it is, is the desert. This desert is different from that which is in the south called the Negev. This desert extends east. The land of Canaan is, well, kind of all over the place. In the span of about 15 miles, a person can go from the sea that is 1,200 feet below sea level to a cool climate of Jerusalem in winter and then back to the summer heat of the Jordan Valley. The geography of the land is very much up and down, that it even made an impact on the Hebrew language. There are verbs that mean to go up, but then there are other words that are used in the language that specifically mean to go up or to go down, depending on the direction in which a person was traveling. As mentioned, one can be in Jerusalem in the wintertime and be cool but on the same day travel down to the Jordan Valley and feel the heat, even though it's winter. The climate of the land of Canaan is dry, and everything seems to be dead in the summer, from June to September. The reason that the summertime is the time of the year that everything dies up, and not the winter, is because the winters in the land are very mild. The average temperature of Jerusalem during the winter months Is 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius, but the ground is still warm enough and stays warm that allows for growth of vegetation during the winter months. The rain only falls during the months of October to April. From May to September, there is no rain. This is when the soil dries up. Even though it does rain, that doesn't mean it rains the same everywhere. In the Dead Sea area, it gets about 4 inches of rain a year. Whereas in Jerusalem, it gets about 22 inches a year. In the Hebron Hills, it gets about 16 inches, and in Upper Galilee, it has about 28 inches of rain each year. Later on, when the Israelites moved into the Promised Land, for them to plant and harvest, the rains in October would ideally soften up the hard-baked ground because during the summer months, the ground became nearly impossible during this time to plow without the rain to soften up the soil. Then in December to February, 70% of the rain falls, with the last couple lighter rainfall during the end of the season with the maturing of the harvest. That was the ideal rainfall, but that only happened one third of the time. The rest of the time, it usually came with a longer dry season, and the rains didn't come early enough to plant, and the dry season started too early. This is why, when the Israelites moved into the land, they are reliant on God for a good dry and wet season. Though today there are still similar wet and dry seasons, the landscape of the land would look different from today in comparison to the Old Testament. The main difference is how much the land used to be covered by forest. Upper Galilee would have been completely covered in forest. Lower Galilee would have most likely been cleared so that it could be used as pasture lands. The Samaria hills would most likely have been cleared as well. But the Bethel hills and the Hebron hills would have been covered in forest. The Jerusalem saddle probably was cleared of forest and made into pasture lands. Now that there is an idea of what the land looks like, we'll begin to look at who are the people living in this land and why the Israelites gave the report that they did. So join us next time in episode 54, The People of the Promised Land, Part 1. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.